0: This week on Life and Faith.
1: Within a year, like, all of their wedding china was smashed and there was vomit on the floor and everything, but they were having the time of their lives because they felt like this is what they were made for.
0: The Enlightenment is about the great individual. I get this cold
2: feeling in my chest, my hands go sweaty, and it's decision time.
1: Social media makes us see ourselves as larger than we are.
2: How can I convince myself I'm a worthy person?
0: Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX. I'm Simon Smart.
3: And I'm Natasha Moore.
0: Now, I wonder if you are one of the increasing number of Australians living in a big city and considering a tree change or perhaps a sea change, dreaming of a way of life that's less busy, less expensive, closer to nature perhaps more sustainable. Now, it's a trend that started before the pandemic, but certainly seems to have accelerated in the last few years and sitting in the traffic this morning, had, uh, I Dreaming meant. of trees. <laughs> yeah. And,
3: I mean, people have a range of motivations for making a big change like that. Um, but it's always fascinating to hear the stories of people who are choosing to live differently and what that looks like for them. Uh, today's conversation is with Pierce and Christina Baer, who run a hostel in the Huon Valley in Tasmania called Pilgrim
0: Hill. Yes, it's an off-the-grid family-run hostel, which particularly caters to visiting fruit pickers and other international travellers. And it runs off solar power. It offers a daily shuttle to the surrounding farms for workers. And Pierce and Christina also, interestingly, run an arts festival in the winter when the hostel is closed. And a big part of what they do is having shared dinners, Followed by conversations about the big questions of life with their guests from all over the world.
3: So, whether you're interested in sustainability in a warming world, or community and hospitality in an atomized world, or spiritual things in a materialist world, I hope that you find their story and their warmth as captivating as I did.
2: So, my name is Pierce Baer, and my wife is
1: Christina Baer,
2: and, and we live here in southern Tasmania in a very beautiful area of Tasmania called the Huon Valley. And we run a hostel for travelers and we run an arts festival each year.
3: And how long have you
2: been doing that? We have been doing that since 2011. The hostel opened in 2018, uh, but before we opened the hostel, we ran dinners in the local town for five years. Uh, for uh, once a week for 80 guests a night. Yeah.
1: It started with us hosting these free community dinners in our back room at the library, the local library in Huonville. And it was insane. We started out with like maybe six Korean travellers that we sort of found near the bus stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, like a month passed and we had like 80 people coming to our dinners And it was crazy. We were using like the little uh, lunch kitchen at the back of the library where the librarians would, you know, heat up, microwave their lunch. And that's what we were trying to cater for, like, 80 people for like a two-course meal. (laughs) And um, so we outgrew that venue and then we moved to the local uh, community center that was owned by an Anglican church. And that was actually a really special time because we had volunteers from a whole bunch of different groups. But throughout it all, our vision was always to open a hostel. We'd had that vision for, we'd had the land for 10 years, and we had the vision for even longer.
2: Uh, So Christina and I, Christina was a professional musician. She's a harpist, and she'd been playing all over the world, and she'd uh, produced a number of albums. And I had been working towards... Two master's degrees. I wanted to teach uh, in academia, and we met each other, and we fell in love, and we looked at our gifts, and we looked at the things that we were good at, and it came to the fore that this, like, we really wanted to do this instead. So we both kind of changed what we were doing and ended up doing this. So I'd had experience in university working with a few different uh, groups that do uh, hospitality-based ministry at hostels uh, in Europe. So I'd worked at a hostel in Amsterdam, which uh, is near the red light district uh, called The Shelter, which is a Christian hostel, just showing hospitality to people. I'd worked at a hostel in Northern Spain along the Camino de Santiago, uh, which is uh, one of the world's oldest pilgrimage trails. And uh, people do it all the time for various reasons, often when they're at a crisis point in life or they want to kind of think through life. And uh, I really enjoyed the hostel I worked at there. And so those experiences, uh, Christina and I just started chatting about kind of where our gifts fit together and we felt really kind of that that was the thing.
1: Yeah, hospitality was something I'd always been really, really interested in and I love cooking and I love uh, different cultures, I love traveling. I've done a lot of international traveling. Hang on a second, Eva, you gotta stop moving the blind with your toes, it's all getting on the interview. Just to jump
3: in here, wanted to let you know the bears have nine children. So there's, understandably, a little bit of ambient noise, a little bit of controlled chaos going on in this interview.
1: I was really interested in cultures around the world from my time travelling as a musician. I love hospitality, I love cooking. Uh, And so, it was yeah, it was a really good way for us to work together. That's what we wanted to do, rather than going and having kind of separate careers. At the time, we were sort of talking about a a pre-industrial model of the household economy, where you had a family working together um, and producing a lot of their own things that they needed and having sort of an economic hub, as it were, in the home. And we were really interested in that. So that kind of all those things fit together for us.
3: Are there particular um, inspirations for that in terms of people you've read or studied or else kind of life experiences growing up that have fed into that?
2: Yes, it was actually, uh, I joke that it's a footnote, but I actually think it was an appendix. And, and a book by Nancy Piercy called Total Truth uh, impacted me tremendously in, in the nature of um, kind of the way that the family was prior to the Industrial Revolution and, and that it was a center of, of industry and the people, you know, the couple was working together towards a shared goal. And you kind of saw through the Industrial Revolution as the as, as economy moved out of the home and the, the home became more and more kind of a shell, uh, you know, a place to kind of return to for rest and entertainment. But there wasn't that much that was happening in, in the household. And it wasn't so much that we were dedicated to this ideologically. It was just something that appealed to us Mm. on a a deep level, that it was something that we wanted to do. We wanted to work together as a team using our gifts together uh, out of our home.
1: Yeah. So another influence would definitely be Francis and Edith Schaeffer. And we did go and visit uh, a couple of Labris.
3: Labris is the French word for shelter. And it's a series of communities around the world where travellers can stay and seek answers to their questions about life. It's been around since the 50s.
1: So Francis and Edith Schaefer lived in, he was an American pastor, and they lived in the Alps, in sort of an alpine village in Switzerland. And they weren't sort of typical American pastors. Um, Francis Schaeffer was really interested in um, cinema verite and philosophy and kind of the groundbreaking music of the time and like psychedelic philosophy and all this. And so when his kids went to university, um, people were very disillusioned by kind of the Western society as they knew it. Um, their kids would be like, my parents talk about this stuff all the time. You should come home with us. And so they would go home with them and they ended up, you know, Edith Schaefer talks about how like within a year, like all of their wedding china was smashed and there was vomit on the floor and everything, but they were having the time of their lives because they felt like this is what they were made for, was to have these conversations with people. And for many years, the only people who knew about them were these kids who were essentially um, seeking and trying out drugs and trying out Eastern philosophy and who would go there And it wasn't until later that he became famous in American evangelicalism. And that's another funny story because, of course, he would go to the States and he would um, start lecturing to a university lecture hall full of kids who had taken, you know, a pledge when they entered this Christian university never to go to the movies, never to dance, never to play cards or drink alcohol. And he's coming in and he's literally talking about, you know, Bergman and he's... (laughs) referencing all the stuff that they're actually not allowed to do, which is a fun story. (laughs) But anyway, that was inspirational for us. And actually, I have an interesting heritage from my maternal grandparents were part of the Catholic worker movement. They lived in a commune with Dorothy Day. Um, My grandfather, my mother's father, was quite a brilliant um, MD, PhD. He had a PhD at that stage in chemistry, but they needed a doctor on their commune and so he and his wife left to get training so he could come back and be the doctor on the commune but during the time that they were away things kind of changed and they ended up going for a different direction but I have a wonderful photo of my grandmother lying in a um a field from that time and also in one of Dorothy Day's books she actually mentions my grandmother pounding up all the extra bits of a chicken to fry up (laughs) It was something that they used to eat because they were very into like, you know, nose to tail eating, which of course is something that people are into now. It's it's fascinating to me um, to see a lot of those ideas very much to the fore now with people worried about the earth and our impact on it. And so it's fun because I get to be up here and have my little mini homestead and welcome people to it. And it's a really wonderful talking point um, for all the people who come up here. I wouldn't say it's like the absolute top priority for me. I think people are the most important thing.
2: You're talking about sustainability? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's a wonderful way to open doors to um, talk about purpose in life and what is our place in the earth and were we designed to be part of an ecosystem? Are we just here and we're harming it or is it a way for us to live in harmony with God's design?
3: As Christina says, for them, the heart of what they do at Pilgrim Hill is the people who come to stay.
2: We originally thought, oh, maybe we'll do something like this in Europe. But Christina grew up here in Tassie, So her parents are American, and I'm obviously from the U.S. And so you can hear it in our accents. But Christina grew up in Tassie, <laughs> And um, when we started talking about this vision, it made sense to come to Tassie instead. Because the world comes here. Uh, to pick and pack fruit we have a working holiday visa program in Australia and people come from all over the world to pick and pack fruit and if they do that for 88 days on a farm they can uh, stay in Australia for an extra year that's an enticing offer to lots and lots of young people so they come and do that and they come to our valley because we've got apples and we've got stone fruit and we've got uh, vineyards we've got strawberries salmon Cherries, salmon.
1: People don't always realise this group of people that's in Australia and actually makes it possible for us to eat food <laughs> to walk into a supermarket and there's food there for you we often like have people that come over to do this and their professions are not what you would expect i mean one time we had this girl from colombia mm-hmm. she was a producer of the top rating um i think like reality tv show no in no, no it was a talk show she it was a. a I don't show. know if it was, was like, the
2: top but she was of a high rated talk show in yeah, colombia
1: Yeah. And she was just here like pruning vines, you know, because she was like, I decided that that's not what I wanted to do with my life. And this gave me some time and she wanted to, to reset. Yeah. And then we've had like industrial engineers, psychologists, accountants, nurses, accountants. We had a guy who was um, a band manager in England. He was managing quite big bands yeah. and doing festivals and tours for them and stuff. And he was like, you know what? This is too much. And he was just here picking apples.
2: It's We've really, always thought it, we thought it would be interesting if, <laughs> if the fruit producers, you know, if, if they actually like stuck a label on the inside saying, you know, th- these raspberries were picked by, you know, an industrial a, a Simon from, from England. From England yeah. exactly.
3: <laughs> I'm wondering what does it mean that Pilgrim Hill is off grid?
2: So we are literally 100% off grid. We get all of our power from the sun, we get our water from the rain. We used to do all of our heating from wood on site. <laughs> And the first three and a half years we were open, I was cutting wood three times a week uh, or ordering wood in and we'd go through a, a stack of wood within the week and it was insane amounts of work. So we actually did switch that over to gas delivery. So perhaps we're slightly less off-grid than we used to but the um, Yeah, to us, it, it, it kind of came back to front. Um, so the Christian concept of stewardship, of taking good care of the earth, is something that's been important to us always. Uh, when we found the property that we thought would be ideal, we discovered that we could not connect to the grid without a huge expense. And so through that process, we actually, back to front, came to the off-the-grid, and we've kind of fallen in love with it after the fact. So we didn't come into it saying it must be off-the-grid. It was more like the off-the-grid happened, and then we, we fell in love with the off-the-grid. And it's a great connection point with a lot of the travelers and a way that we can steward the land well. and
1: yeah and over time just through actually learning to take care of this land that we have I've gotten very very interested in regenerative farming and permaculture and so that's really fun because um you know people come here and they um some of them have only ever lived in cities and I remember at one point taking somebody on a walk to the veggie garden and they clearly couldn't recognize any of the food, yeah. <laughs> and um, this person, you know, I was like, "This is a carrot," and they were like looking at this green foliage, like thinking I had clearly lost thing. my mind. And then uh, pulling it out of the ground, and the, the, the just the, the gasp of astonishment.
2: Yeah. Hey, it's funny. <laughs> so we
1: get people like that, but we also get people who come here specifically because they want to try out this lifestyle, and yeah. so that's exciting.
3: I guess then you pay constant attention to the weather, to the sun and the rain. That's right. (laughs) Um, Is there kind of a spiritual impact of that for you? Oh, I
1: definitely think so. And also I should say when we are reading um, the Gospels, so many of the parables are about agricultural labor. And so it's funny because, you know, if you were to go into a Christian church and listen to a sermon about one of these parables, you'll hear the pastor trying to explain about, you know, being paid just for that day, about, you know, being jealous if somebody else gets paid more or about, you know, sowing and reaping. They have to explain it. Well, these guys are living it. So (laughs) you're reading Jesus's like agricultural um, sayings and they're just like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Pull over it. (laughs) Um, But back to the the sun and the rain. Yes, I think there's a really um, palpable sense of relying on the bounty of what God has provided in nature. So, you know, the sun is shining today. I don't have to worry about, you know, electricity very much because we we get it from the sun. And there's a wonderful feeling when the tanks are filling up and like I can take a really long shower. Mm -hmm. And that's just, um, I've Wasn't expecting that, and it's something I've really enjoyed about living off-grid, is the sense of being connected to a wider design.
0: This is Life and Faith, and Natasha is speaking with Christina and Piers Bear, who run a Christian hostel in Tasmania called Pilgrim Hill.
3: Tell me about kind of a typical day or week. Tell me about this week at Pilgrim Hill. What what do you do? What's what's happening? Who have you got?
2: So, we've got a full house right now, which currently, so we're in phase 1 of our build. And so the phase one of the build is our house the caretakers, plus we've got uh, one dorm. So we actually are quite small right now. We've got 12 we can do 12 guests in the dorm plus two camping. And then we're we'll eventually build two more dorms and we'll be able to host 36 and we also want to build a hall space on the hill. So we've got a, we've got development approval for the whole project, but we've currently only uh, have building approval for the first phase, which we've completed, and on a normal day so, yeah you want to speak to the normal no, day no that's
1: okay the day starts really early if we have to take people to work we have a free shuttle
2: we have a free and, shuttle anywhere uh, I am
1: not a morning person so that would be Pierce <laughs> <laughs> he gets up and drives people down to local farms we have quite a few local farms right around where we live up here in the hills and while they're at work, we have site care to do with you know changing beds and cleaning and setting things up. We also have a lot of work to do in our veggie garden and landscaping around the property. It's a bush block, so there was nothing up here. So we, you know, we'll be chasing wallabies out of <laughs> out of our veggie garden.
2: Yeah, and um, we've got. Um, and Pierce
1: will be worrying about tiger snakes this time of year. Uh, yeah,
2: I'm. I'm. I do not like snakes. <laughs> and we uh, there's just a lot of admin to do. We're a non-profit, so we're not here to make a profit. We charge a, a very conservative rate just to kind of cover costs and um, be able to host the travelers. And then in the evenings, on, uh, three times a week, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we run a dinner together. And that's kind of the hub of the community life yeah. on the hill.
1: Yeah, so, it's a lovely way to turn it from a building with people, you know, a dozen people from maybe a dozen different countries into a community because they come in, they come into our house and we have dinner. We always have dinner and dessert. And we always make sure that we are catering for the dietary requirements. This year we have a lot of vegetarians, which the meat eaters are moaning about.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then we read the Bible over dessert. And I don't know if you can see in the back, but we have Bibles in many different languages. And one of the things uh, that's a connection point for people, we'll kind of share with them that this is something important to us. And if it's their first night, I'll mention that you don't have to agree with anything we talk about. You're welcome to say anything. You're welcome to engage in any way you like. And we'll hand out the Bible in different languages and we'll just have a will read through.
1: Yeah. Pierce always says, you can disagree. You can tell us what you don't like yeah. about this Bible passage. That's fine. Yeah,
2: so we'll have a, we'll have a bit of a discussion before Christmas. We'll read kind of readings through the Bible leading up to the story of Jesus coming. And then after Christmas, until Easter, we'll read straight through gospel. So just one of the four stories about Jesus. And then every Friday night, we do things a little bit differently because it's an open question night. And it's kind of the chance when the travelers can ask, Whatever they like about anything. Yeah, so hard we, questions, easy questions. We yeah. always
1: open a bottle of wine.
2: <laughs> yeah, we have a bottle of wine and, and, and question night. Always helps. And it helps. And the, um, yeah, it, it depends a bit on from season to season. The vibe changes a bit on the hill. And sometimes it takes people a little bit to warm up to asking the questions that are really heavy for them. And sometimes they come right out with them. When we started the dinners on the local town, we kind of assumed that a lot of people would be very kind of naturally invested in some of these questions, that they'd have very hard and uh, fast ideas.
1: And it being the year it was, we thought we would get like Richard Dawkins fans yeah, we'd coming get, in and, that's and, right. and, and telling us religion was evil. And that was
2: really not what we've encountered. They're not engaging this in this, that we find of the travelers are not kind of engaging in that way. They're not antagonistic to faith. They, many of them just don't have any idea. Maybe if they come from Europe, usually it was their grandmother or their great-grandmother that was connected to faith in some way. And if they come from Asia, often they maybe have a friend who's a a Christian, uh, but uh, otherwise they are not connected in any way. And they're just curious, they're interested. Yeah, I
1: think for a lot of them, they're just intrigued to be exposed to a different way of structuring your life, a different set of values, and a different way of seeing your place in the world. And so they're really interested in how we live, like how we interact with our children and how we make choices in our lifestyle. And that's a, it's an honour to be able to share that with people. People often say to me, oh, you know, oh my goodness, you know, don't you get overwhelmed with having so many people in your house and in your life all the time. And for me, it's just been... Um, Okay, so there are times when I have a lot of dirty dishes and that's not my favorite. But the act of sharing our table with people from all over the world and kind of being given the privilege of talking about what matters most to us has been wonderful. Mm. And we have made so many friends. Honestly, just sitting together with someone, even if they're extremely different than you, different age group, different job, different beliefs different country, different language. If you sit with somebody three nights a week, (laughs) share dinner and then open up the book that you base your life on and discuss it with them, you're going to have a pretty deep relationship really quickly. And that's been really special. And actually that's one of the things I did not expect to be hard because sometimes I get overwhelmed by the fact that we go so deep with people and then they may be here for even up to six months at a time. We do Christmas with them. We do Easter with them. We celebrate their birthdays. <laughs> we always make their favorite dessert. And then they're gone. And that can be hard. Um, Pierce is really good at keeping in touch with them. He has like all these chats with people even from like...
2: Yeah, we ch- I chat with ago. people from each of the years. And, and <laughs> it was funny, before we opened, we talked to a number of different parents who had run hospitality ministries and had kids at the same time. And... Kind of what were the difficult points what were, worked what, what worked and what didn't. We wanted to kind of structure ourselves in a way that was sustainable for our family for the long run. And one of the things we kind of sat down with the kids and told them is when they leave, it's going to be really hard. You know, you know our first set of like long-term travelers left and Christina and I were just sitting we there weeping and weeping. We
1: were And the
2: kids walked up to us and they're like, it's okay, it's okay, you know. You know, the travelers are going to leave, it's going to be hard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you <wearing> them well. <laughs> yeah.
1: We have this funny thing that we do. I don't actually remember how this started, but I sing a lot with our kids and they're homeschooled, so they're here a lot. So they do get quite close to the travelers. But um, we have this tradition where we go out and sing this farewell song all together when somebody... if We don't do it if someone's just been here for one evening, because that would be weird. But if they've been here for like three to six months and we feel like they need that moment to sort of reflect on, you know, the love that our family feels for them, we'll go out and do this song and Pierce can't even stand can't it be He's like, this is the torture song. Because, um, oh. because what happens is they stand out there and they have their phone ready and they're taking pictures and they're so happy and they're smiling. And then as the song goes on, you just see their face <laughs> change. <laughs> and then the tears start. And I've done this with, like, men <laughs> from countries that are not oh. meant to be demonstrative, you know. No. And they're literally just, like, crying by the end.
2: <laughs> so we, we do feel we do feel like a family here and the kids very much when we, we also thought because we wanted to design this here that the kids you know weren't kind of in threat and kind of put boundaries in and it's funny because we kind of we can went in with that mindset and it's almost the reverse we have to kind of protect the travelers from the kids because the kids love the travelers so much and they're always wanting to play with them and interact with them and you know we have to kind of pull the kids away so that the travelers have space.
3: <laughs> sounds a little bit with the singing it sounds a bit von Trapp family because you have a lot of kids right? Without,
1: without like the, order, without the orderly part yeah. where they're all like snapping <laughs> to attention. One thing that I love about having a big family and raising them like this is that they're very very aware of the world. Mm-hmm. So, when I say they're aware of the world, they might not, like, know a ton of geography necessarily, but they're very aware of the countries and the languages and the cultures. And it's really lovely. You know, One year we had this girl come from Mongolia, and all of our kids found out she's from Mongolia, and they got so excited, and they were just, like, asking her all these questions because they had watched a documentary about Mongolia like they already knew all about Mongolia. And she was just so shocked because she was like, nobody knows about Mongolia. <laughs> and, and I love it because often the kids, well, if they're talking to a Chinese speaker, they'll ask, are you from China or Taiwan? And we never taught them to do that. But like, that's very much an awareness of theirs that like those are two different countries and people like, you know, that it, it matters to them which one it is.
3: I wanted to know more about the dinners with Bible reading. Are people up for that? Can guests opt out?
2: No, the dinners are not compulsory. So we say, you know, we offer dinners three times a week. If you'd like to attend, let us know if you have any dietary preferences. And so far to this point, we've never had anyone say, no, no, I don't want to attend the dinners. We are very open on our website when people are booking. And we try to just make very clear, you know, we are a Christian family. We're welcoming you into this kind of environment. We mentioned this on our website that we read the Bible together because we don't want people to be surprised. We don't want them to get here and feel like, you know, they were hoodwinked or something.
1: It's never the intention for it to be like a trap with hospitality is the bait. As Christians, we believe that Christianity is for all of life. It speaks to every area of life. And so for us, it's not about, let's get these people in here so we can spring the Bible on them. For us, it's sharing our lives, sharing food, sharing the vegetable garden. They get to come in and harvest in the vegetable garden, sharing um, our love of uh, languages and our love of different cultures, all of that is is part of the picture. The and giving
2: body. them and caring for yeah. them where they're at. So I mean, yeah. these people are. I don't know if you've tra- done any traveling, but I mean, you're they're at a phase of life. Often they've been staying in kind of uh, kind of soulless hostels. Or my, my daughter is piping up at the, uh, party hostels. They feel they, they feel kind of a bit disconnected. Uh, it can be a bit disorienting. You're in a new place. There's no sense of kind of place. You, you don't connect very well to the locals. The only locals that are staying at your hostel are are a little bit crazy because the kind of people that stay at low-cost hostels who are locals are often in a very different kind of stage of life. So uh, we want to offer, like even if people came and they had no interest in attending the dinners, that would be fine. We love showing hospitality to the travelers. We want to give them a place. We want to give them a sense of family and uh, a place where they can feel safe, where they can kind of take their bags off and, and rest.
1: Taking care of people for us is not like some sort of warm-up to sharing the gospel. Taking care of people for us is the heart of what Jesus does. And if you look in the gospels, Mm -hmm. you see that Jesus has a holistic approach to humanity. He preaches, yes, but he also um, teaches and heals. And he breaks down social barriers, and he, um, he eats with people, you know, sometimes... it's not always clear if he's always preaching when he's eating with people. Sometimes it seems like he just sits down and has a meal with them. So for us, it's a holistic picture. For us, it would be dishonest though if we were like, hey, we're Christians and we want to share our lives, but we're not going to tell you about the Bible. Because for us, that is the core of how we order our lives and what we believe about the world, what we believe about our place in the world, what we believe about the value of humans that are made in God's image and are unique. And so for us, Part of the honesty and authenticity of presenting our lives in this way is to be honest and say this is our faith, mm. and I think that people respond to that. We had this guy, this really fun British guy. He was a lot of fun, and yeah, he we like um, he was an atheist. Normally, the people that come here are a little bit more um, agnostic. They're intelligent, they're educated, and they're looking for new experiences in life, but they often don't have like super set views of like the meaning of life or like, is there a God? Um, they're, they're often just really open and just really interested in exploring, well, what do you believe? And what are other ways of doing life? What are other ways of, of thinking about these things? And they're not... It really depends yeah, on the person. It depends, it depends on the person. Some people,
2: we have had people that come, uh, you know, have a specific... Yeah, we have
1: perspective. all sorts of people. But going back to the... Okay, so we had this British guy this one year who was a lo- he was a very funny guy. He was a lot of fun. And he said that the only thing he knew about Jesus was from um, Monty, Monty Python, life friend. Uh-huh. And, and that was actually fun because when we were reading the Beatitudes, he just started shrieking with laughter. He
2: kept he connecting. Was... When we were reading through the gospel, <laughs> he'd yes, exactly. Right. He'd be that's like, right. oh my
1: gosh, that's the cheesemakers. He, he kept yes. connecting through
2: Monty Python. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, so that was fun. But it was... And he ended
2: up coming again <laughs> the next year. So we've had things like that oh, happen Oh, and he well. also
1: has like sent other people. But um, one thing that was funny with him is that he told us, he loved being prayed for so often at the end of the meal we'll just say hey does anyone have anything they want to share that's bothering them or that you want to celebrate because we like to talk to God about it very briefly and it's just a a short prayer we never ask anyone else to pray it's just us kind of going
2: you know and often when you're traveling you can kind of be in your own little world and you can have it like a something that's important to you that's happened back in your home country. And there's no real kind of context in which you can share that because it would be kind of awkward. Like you're not going to say, oh, my sister had this thing happen. Yeah, so that's kind of a time when people can kind of share their kind of celebrations and the things that they're, they're down about or things they want prayer for.
1: Yeah, and this guy, this British guy, this British atheist, he just loved it. He was like, it makes me feel so happy. I yeah. love the prayer time.
2: I ran one of the dinners without you a few weeks ago and people were talking the same thing about prayer, that they just really... I felt like that was something that they were missing was this, this kind of context of prayer, in prayer.
1: Yeah, a context where people could sit together and share things that were important for them that week. Even if they were tiny, there were just things that for some reason were important to them that week. And then people were able to express care. I mean, for us, we know that there is a loving God listening to them. And so for us, it has that layer of meaning. But for them, it had uh, another layer of meaning, which was just people sharing these things together.
3: I asked Pierce and Christina about the contribution they want Pilgrim Hill to make. Big picture.
1: Well, the fact is like, we have these people coming into our community every single year. And they're a huge part of our economy and they're a huge part of our community, but they're not really seen by the Australian public. And so to acknowledge their part in our culture and our society and our economy, we feel is important. And to take care of them, we feel has value. Um, Because as Christians we believe that all humans have value and this is something that we can do in our local community that acknowledges the role that they play and it provides a service. It's a service that people value because they come here and they're strangers and they come here and they have no community connections and occasionally things don't go well for them. You know, we've talked about the happy side of all this, but sometimes, you know, in some of the hostels there is sexual assault, and in some of the farms there is labor exploitation. Um, but we can help people in a situation where they are a little bit vulnerable. They come over and they've often um, come straight out of university and they've never done manual labor before. <laughs> um, so so just, caring, just caring for those people and acknowledging their role in Australian um, society I think is important. And I have to pick something to do in my life. I can't take care of all of the, all of the people. <laughs> but this is, something, this is something that we can do as a family, and it fits for us. We feel that there's a dignity in it, and we feel very fulfilled. And it's a way that we can raise our children that we love.
0: This has been Life and Faith from CPX with me, Simon Smart, and Natasha Moore. Our thanks today to Pierce and Christina Bear for speaking with us and their various children with cameos. You can find out more about Pilgrim Hill from their website, pilgrimhill.com.au. Also, thanks to our producer, the indomitable Alan Douthwaite.
3: As always, if you liked this episode, we would love for you to share it with someone else you think would enjoy it. Word of mouth is the best way for people to get into life and faith. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a rating or review. And do subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss any episodes.
0: Next week. For the longest time in the ancient world, societies were thought to be permanent.
1: Rome called itself the Eternal City. And the idea, therefore, that a society can be fundamentally critiqued and a more appealing option offered was just not part of the mental furniture. There was just no category for understanding that.